It has never been easier to start a new business that reaches millions of customers. And now people are creating amazing startups outside of Silicon Valley. But starting a company doesn't equal success. In this podcast, we dive into how founders across the southeastern United States are succeeding, why they fail, and everything in between. Welcome to Startup Pivot Scale. In 2020, in the height of the pandemic, three entrepreneurs got together to launch a podcast. A year and a half later, we we're recording the 10th and final podcast for the first season. Was it a lack of hustle or an incredible amount of hustle to get to this moment? Boy, I think it was all about the hustle. Do the hustle. Because we all have our own businesses and 2020 hit us hard. We had all of us trying to get together at the same time. It was really tough. Where it's like David and I would be available, Arnab would, or David and Arnab would be available, and I would, or Arnab and I would be available, David wouldn't. So it was like trying to get all of that, all of us in one place at one time, or even having all of us free at the same time where we'd all call in through Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. even launching Founders Forge, I mean, we got together and decided we were going to become a 501c3. We got all the paperwork done. All that gets approved at the very end of 2019, we hold a launch party to say, hey, we're Founders Forge and we're doing all this great stuff. And literally the next month, yeah. it all just like goes to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything went wild. And we had our initial funding from the city and our par partners all come together to help us get going. And then it's just radio silence. It yeah. was wild. I don't know if that was responsible for us to pick up another project in the middle of all of that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, but uh, why wouldn't we? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what we, we do. do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, funny. But that's um, a really good question because, you know, a lot of people from the outside, it looks like, you know, you started this thing a year and a half ago and it's still not done yet. What are you doing? But, you know, there's there's a lot of hustle and a lot of work going on in the background and like Edwin mentioned, this isn't the only thing we're doing. We each of us have multiple businesses and um, you know side companies, projects, side, side hustles, projects, side everything. everything that we're doing. <laughs> plus dealing with the pandemic and yeah. how that affects our social, yeah. family lives, and all that sort of stuff. Well, and um, I think the question that would come up is why do we wait so long to re release episodes? And that's definitely on me. I, I really, if we were going to do this and do it right, I knew we were going to have some challenges. Mainly, a lot of it being on me too, and I really wanted to set that goal. If we hit 10 episodes, then we would launch a podcast and that would be something we'd continue from this point on. And so it's exciting to hit this moment because I know this is really just the beginning of our future podcast. And I think about all the things we've learned on audio quality. You know, a lot of it was done on Zoom. I mean, there's lots of yeah, you know, right. craziness that go with it. And I think it's going to get better and better as we move forward. Computer batteries dying and oh, yeah. <laughs> boring yeah. podcasts. Yeah, you'd, you'd think I'd know to plug it in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, simple things like that. It's just amazing. And it, I think I'm amazed at how much work it does take to do a podcast. Like I've heard about it. I've talked to other entrepreneurs that are right. doing it full time. And there's mad respect to that just because it's, it's the logistics. It's talking to people. And it's also figuring out what you want to say and taking some risks and having fun with it. Uh, knowing that some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. And. You know, you just got to have to go with what you think is right and have fun with it. Yeah, this, yeah. That's one thing I really enjoyed about this whole process is I love listening to podcasts, but actually doing one and learning about the industry and how it works and all that sort of stuff. That's been really fun for me. And it was, it's been a learning, you know, it's yeah. definitely been a learning process. We might even have better theme music next season. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you going to sing some? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll vote on that. I'll vote for that too, yeah. No, I, I think actually you brought up a really good point, Arnab, but it's, 
I, I've been talking to quite a few entrepreneurs lately, and one person was talking about they had all these ideas. Yeah, they wanted to start a coffee shop that, that would turn into a bar in the evening. They had another one where they wanted to do a you know, restaurant and do all these different types of things. They weren't sure which one to pick. Uh, but he seemed pretty gung-ho about creating a bar um, or a coffee shop. And I said, you know, do you, are you sure you want to do a coffee shop? And he's like, oh, yeah, I love drinking coffee. And that was kind of a red flag for me immediately. I'm like, oh, do you like cleaning bathrooms up you know, at coffee shops? And this kind of looked at me weird, like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, picture this. Everybody comes in for the morning coffee. And everybody goes to their morning bathroom. <laughs> it is not the best moment in a coffee shop, right? Like I try to avoid coffee shop bathrooms in the mornings because it's gross, right? That's true. But somebody's got to clean that. And if you don't, if you're not willing to, you don't love the coffee shop business enough, and you just like sitting back drinking coffee, and you like hanging out at a, you know coffee, or having coffee and with people meeting up with them, that's not a coffee shop business. That's enjoying a coffee shop business. And you got to really go back to. Is this something I really want to do and really understand the full you know, understanding of that? Mm-hmm. And I told him that. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. He said, can I hire people to do that? I'm like, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But not, I mean, there are going to be days it's you by yourself in there, yeah. especially with the hiring issues. And he's I'm like, well, I'm going to start a bar. I'm going to start a bar. No, no, There's no uh, problems at a bar. I <laughs> bathrooms at bars. That was one oh, of yeah. my that's, jobs. Oh, it's awful. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like, uh, how, do you, how do you miss? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, here's a question for the listeners. Would you rather clean a coffee shop bathroom in the morning or Ooh. a bar bathroom at night? I'll take the coffee shop bar. I don't know, man. I don't know. I've seen some bad, bad, gross stuff out there. <laughs> oh, the real question is, are you willing to clean a bathroom to run a business? Yes, that's right? True. Like, that's the that's reality true. of it. Like, Absolutely. There was a, a person that spoke to me way back in college. Uh, he was uh, the hair man at, at Purdue University, and he would cut hair. And if you were 21, you'd get a beer, free beer. Um, wasn't charging for that. But when his daughters got a grad, or went to college, I think, is when he decided he always wanted to run a bar. And he created nine Irish brothers, uh, Irish pub. They've won, I mean, many years. And this, this is northern, like West Lafayette, Indiana, of all places. They win the best Guinness pint in the country over and over and over again. Because they put such an attention to detail to the, you know, the nitrous line, everything else, how they pour it, how long they let it sit, everything else. So we have people beating out all these Irish pubs in big cities in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And I'm sure pretty people hate for me to call it nowhere, Indiana, <laughs> but it kind of is when you go up there. Uh, but it, it's a cool environment. But he built this restaurant and he got all the stuff from, or from Ireland. He brought all this native stuff, went out and find recipes of it. But his dream was to own a bar. But he knew what he was going to get into, and he always associated that with when he ran a uh, his hair shop, and he also had a car wash next to it. He remembers going out like New Year's Eve, northern Indiana, of course, probably like negative 15 degrees, and the water lines busted, and he had to go turn off the water so it wouldn't get worse. And there was no one for him to call. He called people that were closer; they were with family or gone. He's leaving his family, driving two hours to get there, and turning off the water line, and it was getting soaking wet as to, like water spraying on him. And thinking about how miserable that was. That, to me, you have to be willing to do that to own a business. And that yeah. tech businesses, everything else. There's always that moment that you have to take in you know, realization. And to me, that's part of the hustle of owning a business and being w- willing to do the hustle that makes it work. Yeah. Yeah, like I literally just packed up to go to St. Louis, left my life here in Johnson City. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Which is a really cool moment. I mean, it's exciting. Why, why are you headed to uh, St. Louis? Oh, so, well... It's funny that this podcast started right as I got out of two accelerator programs in Atlanta, which were both really good. And now we're recording this last episode, and I'm now moving to I've moved to St. Louis to be in the Arch Grants program, which is a program out of St. Louis to help your business scale. Well, hold on a second. So you're in, you're in Tennessee. Yes, I'm in Tennessee. There right are now. programs here. 
Yes. Why did you go to Atlanta to get additional help? Because Atlanta, like when I applied, Atlanta was the one that was like, yes, come to Atlanta. And I went to that program and that program was really... But why, why were you willing to do that? Oh, because I wanted to succeed. Like yeah. there was nothing like I wouldn't do to succeed in my business. So I'd wake up Monday morning, drive to Atlanta. Sometimes how long my, of drive is that? It's a four, four, four and a half hour drive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> drive into Atlanta, be there from. We have to be there Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Friday evening. To drive back. Sometimes, depending on if I had meetings here in Johnson City in between, I'd drive in, do my class, turn around, drive back, do my meeting the next day, the next morning, drive back to Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of driving. To me, well, I'm sure that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's ultimate hustle, too. Yeah. I, mean, I, I did a similar thing when we did the Chattanooga Gig Tank program, uh, which is a really good accelerator program they do in, uh, at the CoLab in uh, Chattanooga. And it, it was just a cool program, but it was a three-hour drive, and we would pitch constantly through it. And that was how we were pitching, preparing for investors or preparing our business. And I remember getting in the car, and I would pitch all the way for three hours by myself in the car, and i kind of hear myself say it and adjust it. While I was driving, I'd have a little pad of paper and I could take notes. And I'd show up, I'd pitch, yeah. and they'd go, "No, that was crap." Yeah. <laughs> and then we would, I'd go, we'd have coursework for all day, and then yeah. we'd have Wednesday to do work, and then we had Thursday, we'd take our notes and pitch again, and then do our coursework, and then I would drive back, and I would not do anything on the way back. I listen to audiobooks and other things. Yeah. I was just so burned that out. Reminds me I did that for nine weeks. <laughs> yeah. For uh, when I did the It Takes a Village program out of Tech Village, mm-hmm. when I was doing my pitch, I two of us, I know spent literally the whole weekend before our pitch at Tech Village practicing to each other, mm-hmm. sending it to our advisors. And I think I rewrote my pitch the day before um, mm-hmm. I pitched. Same reason, because like, yeah. you just do what you need to in order to get the pitches. And then yeah. for square one, I did something similar as well. Well, when you get a moment like that and you have the support and you have the feedback, like I was extremely willing to do it just because you knew the feedback and the mentorship and everything you were getting was really worth it. I mean, I think it's tough for any startup to decide what you're going to put your time on. Mm-hmm. Like you can do these programs and there's an endless amount of programs. And if you apply enough, you're going to get in. I think the question you have to look at is always say, is the extra hustle of doing this worth, you know, it's going to give you the payoff. It's going to help you connect with an audience, make a connection. And it's really easy to do a whole bunch of programs and never work on your business, right? Yeah, like you could do that right. 24-7. You've got to really decide, is it worth the extra effort? And a lot of programs, it really is. Yeah, and some programs, I mean, they're going to teach you the same thing. They're kind of established to go over the same sort of stuff. And so yeah. if you're just applying to a bunch of different programs just to say you've been through this and that, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're not really making a lot of new discoveries or progress or something you're mm-hmm. kind of just reinforcing what you already had is it really worth it to do all these different ones you know it, but, and from behind the scenes like yeah. being so we're starting our second uh, cohort or, or group uh, for startup boot camp is a program we've designed for founders forge to take people from the idea stage hopefully all the way to launch and we're modeling everything we've done at other programs like google next for entrepreneurs gig tank some of the atlanta tech villages programs and just come up with some of our own things too and as, as we've built these programs behind the scenes, there's a lot of incentives for us and a lot of support for us to do this from an economic development point of view. And so you have to be careful. Like we're so dedicated to trying to make sure entrepreneurs get something out of it and succeed. But as we've done research and see what works, that's not always the case. A lot of times they want to get people through and into these programs from an economic development point of view. And they don't care as much about the programming as they do just getting people there and being part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's not really the program you want to look for. You want to find programs that are going to be very 
like entrepreneur centric. Mm-hmm. We don't even tell our full course load or what they're actually going to be doing until we meet the startups. We've got 16 modules we designed to try to uh, custom tailor the programming to whoever's there. And we try to be very hands-on and very tailored to the you know 10 or so companies that we accept. But other programs I've been in that are at least heard about and learned about too in research, they're just, they're just doing regular basic programs that are they've either got from a bigger institution or they're just running it to run it. And that's not, I think that, that's, you're going to waste all of your extra energy and something like that. Yeah. I think like, so for me, cause I know RNAV, you were at ATDC. I was at Atlanta Tech Village and then um, the guy who ran Atlanta Tech Village's program went to start Square One, which I went through as well. And I found that I got a lot out of those two programs because they were run by entrepreneurs, people who'd been through it. And mm-hmm. in my experience, when I've had classes or things taught by those who may have a more academic but haven't been through the entrepreneur side, things come to you in a different way. Um, but the entrepreneur experience of an entrepreneur teaching you that, like for instance, with Bootcamp, David, you've built several businesses. You can explain things to them like, hey, this is what you're going to encounter. Uh, here's the theory. Here's how it's going to work. And then after those programs, now that I'm in Arch Grants, that's where square one and it takes a village where from idea to product validation to launch. And now the program I'm in is from a, okay, you've launched and you're either near revenue or post revenue. We're going to help you scale. <laughs> and so um, this it's same similar thing. It's like I'm dealing with people who built multiple businesses and have scaled from zero to hundred million dollar companies. And it's like, okay, they're giving information. So like when you're looking at programs, look at who's coming in to teach those programs. A lot of times you may have to move to another city and state to get that program. Yeah, I think that's part of the, you know, I doubt you're going to be gone forever. I mean, if things build up and keep growing, you may have a division there and or maybe you're there and you travel back and forth. I, mean, I have a feeling you're going to you have a lot of roots here, so I understand yeah. that. But it's it's also a message out to any community out there trying to build a startup ecosystem is that if you don't create programs like they have other places and you don't incentivize it and get the capability out there, you'll build up people to a certain point and you'll lose them. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a little bit of a loss for us to lose that hammer just because um, we didn't have the programs that, of that like financial incentive with the caliber of that together. I mean, we're building it. We're trying. I mean, it's hopefully it's coming, but it, it, we're going to need programs like that with that same level of investment into the companies uh, in order to really keep people here. Otherwise, we're going to be the training ground and people are going to keep leaving. Yeah. And that's worrisome. But but with that, like we're talking a lot about programs here, and I think the association to that is that it's a lot of extra work. It doubles you know the amount of stuff you're doing. We keep saying hustle, and hustle may be one of the most – you know, cliche words yeah. and overused words right now, but it is, it is true. Instagram. Yeah, I still love it. I still love it about, uh, uh, I love it way more than pivot. I'm tired yeah. of people saying pivot when they don't even use it right. Hustle is a little more versatile, but it is. Well, machine learning and AI is not up there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Synergy. Yeah, synergy. Oh, that synergy was one of the early ones. I haven't heard that as much, but uh, man, I hate it when I talk to my engineer. She's like, you know, I think we'd actually have some, uh, Hate to say this, but like synergy, it's uh, like <laughs> yeah. a dirty word to say. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, the hustle side of things is a real thing, and I think it can be used very wrongly. Like if you're out there just saying, "I'm going to stay up all night, I'm just going to hustle, hustle, hustle," and you're working yourself to the bone, we've talked about the dangers and why that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I have a question to both of you: What are real world examples of how you guys have hustled? 
I guess starting out in the very beginning when we were first forming Flow MedTech, again, we were just newly graduated biomedical engineers and we didn't really know anything about starting a company. And so we literally went all around Atlanta and even the Southeast, even cold calling people to learn more about, you know, the problem, the market. We interviewed almost every single attorney or law firm in Atlanta to figure out who we wanted to go with because we wanted to learn things from them and we wanted to work with someone that's not just going to do work for us blindly, but like understand the perspective we're coming from and teach us things along the way. So, you know, that was one thing. And then we also packed up, we were accepted to an accelerator program in Dallas and we had to pack up everything in Atlanta and move out there within a month's notice. And so that was a huge change for us too, just going from Atlanta to Dallas starting a, a life there for a little bit. There's, you know, years where you kind of, when you're doing the fundraising and stuff, fundraising doesn't always come when you always need it. So you're going to have... No, it yeah. never comes when you need <laughs> never. it. Never. Actually, yeah, it never does. And so you have your ups and downs with that. And it's like, how do I keep making progress in the company and showing that we're doing these wonderful, great things, but there's nothing to fund it, you know? So how can we get creative and show people that we can still keep the company going while we're trying to buy time and stuff to get the money and bring all that in too. And I told myself in that You know, phase, a lot of that, yeah. <laughs> if I die, the company dies, so don't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, we had a friend ask if we were both flying on the same flights. And I was like, yeah, we're flying on the same flights. I, I've heard about, like, you know, they don't allow certain CEOs and everything else. I was like, look, we're a startup right now. At this point, we're worth nothing. Yeah. It can, it can, the, a plane crash and both of us dying on it in the company is the least of our problems right now. We, we get to the moment where it's really going. Okay, maybe we'll fly I mean, that yeah. separately. But we yeah. need this time to keep talking. Take out Kingman insurance and a yeah, we, insurance. We, we, yeah, we need to use our plane time to keep talking and working on our business. So. You know, going back to the attorneys and stuff, that reminded me. Patents are really expensive. I don't know if yeah, you are. guys know yeah. how expensive a patent can be. I've heard <laughs> lots of stories. Yes. And so, like, obviously back then we didn't have five, ten, sixteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars to file a patent. So, like, we would actually go to the Georgia Tech Library, rent books to learn about how to write a patent, how a structure works, background figures, claims, all that sort of stuff. And we wrote our first you know, a couple of patents ourselves and we would do the provisional patents ourselves and we wanted to make it as closely, as close as a non-provisional as possible so that if we were ever to choose an attorney, we weren't stuck paying them a lot of money to write these patents because they can get really, really expensive. And so mm -hmm. um, we did a lot of work. Even when we got the attorney, we were like, you know what, let us work on a lot of the patents ourselves. Like, let us do as much as we can so that you just do whatever's required in order to finish the patent and turn it in. And so, you know, we did a lot of that in the beginning and we continue to do that. You know, it's cool. It's a learning thing. Like, I'm really glad I know all this stuff about patents and stuff um, just because it's so helpful, yeah. you know, no matter what industry, really. I know I'm supposed to talk about my hustle points, but you brought up a good thing. Like, it's learning. You are learning all the time. I think that's part of the hustle is you're never stop learning. Um, so... Like yep. I'm in the construction industry. It's like when I first jumped into this like years ago, I knew nothing about construction. Now it's like I think I know too much. 
Uh, <laughs> walking into buildings like, oh, he did that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a real thing. You start learning and you see behind the curtain and sometimes you wish you didn't. Yes. Yeah, but like true. the, um, the, the reality and the experiences you learn from that are, are just, you know, so valuable that by learning it, because going back to the patent side of things, the conventional wisdom is always, you should get a lawyer and do that. And I'm not going to say you shouldn't. I mean, they are complex. You can mess it up and have that could cause problems for you later. There's all kinds of issues that go with that. However, uh, in the news lately, you had Sarah Blakely, Blakely, I think, yeah, yeah. Sarah Blakely, uh, with uh, Spanx. She just sold her stake in Spanx for $1.2 billion, um, or some of her stake, I believe. Yeah, some of her. And she's now chairman of the board instead of acting CEO. Uh, but $1.2 billion. But if you if you ever, I'd really encourage you by listening to really learn her story. Uh, she's been on Masters of Scale and how I built this. And you know, she went from selling fax machines, although she claimed she never really was good enough to sell even one but was having outfit issues and came up with that idea and then tried to take that idea to uh, manufacturers. And during that time, trying to get people to listen to her, nobody wanted to listen to her, probably because partially she was a woman in a male-dominated industry. I'm no doubt about that. Uh, but also nobody understood the, the value of it mm-hmm. because, again, probably a bunch of guys that were running the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the programs. So she went out and got told no over and over and over again. But she also went and looked at trademarks and patents and did the exact same thing you did, Arnav, where she went and researched it and understood it. And she filed her own patent and got it. And she did that all herself because she didn't have any money. She didn't have any resources. I don't think she had a website for a while either. Oh, not for a long time. Yeah. And she did, you know, she did like booths and direct to market. She did all these different things. I, mean, she had, yeah. I think she was the one that had the goal of being on the Oprah show and then yes. she got on it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was just That's cool. what she made business for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, and that's where she found her way to do it. And I would say she was one of those people that truly hustled in the right way. Even though you got to think that, and you don't hear this enough of how difficult that was and how many times she questioned it and was you know not sure it was ever going to work or she was even doing the right thing. That's the story behind the story that isn't told enough. And I'm glad that's a big part of what we've been doing with this podcast. But you think about all that, and that's $1.2 billion. That's just, I mean, I, most people will not arrive, you know, grow yeah. a business to that level. <laughs> In all reality, you'd probably get bought out. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm on my way. <laughs> I, know. I was joking. I, you know, growing up as a you know, software developer kid, like I did it. I was programming since like middle school. All these people would always go to me. This is during the dot com boom. They're like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna go out there and you're gonna be a, you know so rich. You're gonna be a millionaire. You're gonna be a billionaire." And you'd hear all these numbers thrown out. And then when I got older and started doing entrepreneurship, they're like, "Oh, you're gonna be a billionaire." And pretty soon, I started having the statement of, "I will never ever be a billionaire." I will sell out way too fast. <laughs> I am not in this to be a billionaire. I've seen what that takes and I've seen the life of that is. I'm ready to just sell and just, you know, do, I like to think of me, you know, sailing out into the sunset, but in reality, I'll probably create another business. But <laughs> if I went sailing out into the sunset, I'd be like, hmm, there needs to be an app for this. The sail away app. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the other thing too, is that people, like Noah Kagan talks about um, I know it's like people hate the, some people hate the term entrepreneur where they're hustling just to look like they're, they're not moving forward. They're just being busy. Uh, let's explain that a little farther. What okay. is a entrepreneur? A entrepreneur is someone who wants to be an <laughs> entrepreneur, but does all the things to, around actually working on the Doing business. the work. Yes. Uh, but is every... Does I guess the question is what causes someone to become an entrepreneur? Do they just set out that way from the start? Oh, yeah, I think well, you know it's like can it be taught versus is it innate, right? Like, do you mm-hmm. have this thing inside of you that this drive where you want to make a difference or you see a problem and you want to solve it? Um, 
you know, does that make you, is it something you're born with or is it something that you can learn? Like, can you learn to find a problem and build a solution you, around it or a company around it? And I then, think it's a combination of both, honestly. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's like, you're not, um, it's a, yeah, it's a combination of both where you've got those people who will never fit that mold and have to do their own thing. And you've got those people who literally set out to be the model employee and then just got frustrated and they're like, no one's solving this problem. I'm going to solve it for myself. Next thing you know, they've got a large business and they're like, well, I never really wanted to set out to do this. This bothered me. I just fixed it. And then someone's like, I'll buy that from you. I was like, okay. And another person's like, I'll buy that from you. Next thing you know, I'll have this business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And well, well, going into that, when I was in, like spent my time out in Silicon Valley, and I mean that Silicon Valley proper, like Palo Alto, um, then also spending time in Mountain View, Sunnyvale, and those areas. Um, especially in those areas, we saw a lot of people, Cupertino as well. Uh, but you see those areas. It was any anybody that wasn't already working at a tech firm. It, I would. It was just amazed at how everybody had a startup. And then even downtown San Francisco, you'd walk around and you'd meet people. And we were in a couple programs over the years at like Galvanize and some other programs uh, with uh, centered around entrepreneurship with other companies I was part of. And everyone had a startup. And it finally dawned on me that the realization that everyone, it was cool out there to have a startup. So you had people that like, if you, I swear you could walk around downtown, <laughs> anybody that was like a young adult, young professional, would yeah. be like, you, what's your startup? And they'd be like, oh, my startup is, we're going to use proprietary <laughs> algorithms to do you know, computational AI and AI prediction. And it's going to be machine this phenomenal. Learning. It's yeah. Yeah, with machine learning. And it's going to, we're expecting a 2.5 million pre-money valuation for well, 20% yeah, of this. Like that was, yeah. <laughs> 2.5 million sounds low for out there. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Pre-money, That's very pre-money. humble. Yeah. That's very humble. But, but that was back in the day, right? <laughs> that was like more than 10 years ago. <laughs> back but, when things were normal. Yeah. Just kidding. I, yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking about a lot, a lot of this and it's like, if you have, if you see a problem and you want to come up with a solution, I think maybe you're an inventor, but I think there's a difference between an inventor and an entrepreneur. And like, you can't just come up with the solution, but if you want to be an entrepreneur and build a startup and a real company around it, you got to think about all those different pieces mm-hmm. that are required to bring this solution or invention that you've created to the market, to the people, or mm-hmm. put it to use for what you actually developed it for, right? And I do think like, there's some of that that can be learned and you like, you may have this innate passion or whatever to come up with the solution. And then you, you have to learn how to do all this and you become an entrepreneur in the per and mm-hmm. the process of building this company around it. I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think what I was trying to get at with my like time out West was I learned that there are people out there that just see startup culture and they see like the social network movie and all these other stupid things out there. Or they see the, they, they follow <laughs> TechCrunch is always like, this company's got $20 million and all yeah. this crap that it's like, it's always out there. But there's those people, and those are definitely, in my opinion, entrepreneurs. And they just like the culture of it. They're probably never going to do it themselves. But you also run into people, and I'm seeing this common too, where they have an idea, like you're saying, maybe, or an invention or something, and they launch it, they get it going. And then they run into a roadblock or they can't seem to get traction or something's just not working, but they're not willing to give it up yet. And I think our culture of like not being okay with failure causes mm-hmm. this a little bit too, where, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you're in entrepreneurship and you have a company going and you meet others, like you're, that's your friend group, that's your social group, that's everything. And if you're not pursuing it and it's not moving forward, you kind of get stuck in this weird spot. And I think there's times where those people stop trying, not, it's not that they wouldn't try, they may not know how to try or what to do next, or they lose motivation or they get burned out. And then they just kind of sit in this perpetual existence. 
And I also think people see that a company struggling or a founder struggling and they eventually start to write them off and start saying, oh, that's an entrepreneur. That's an entrepreneur. Like they're, they're not serious about it. I don't know. Is that ever going to work? Not, and I've heard this in the community. I've heard this and it's usually never a real entrepreneur that understands it. Yeah. Because I've learned over the years, you don't discount somebody that keeps trying something new. If somebody right. is, try, is not doing anything, they're never offering anything or trying to do something new, then they could be, if they're not doing it, then they're probably an entrepreneur. But at the end of the day, if they're constantly trying, constantly evolving, they're willing to right. drive to places and go yeah. and just really make their life harder, and you can see the hustle behind the scenes, to me, that's an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I think those lines get blurred. And part of what I'm thinking of is, is it, sure, there are people out there that have an idea, they're moving forward, they're stuck. They really have no idea what to do. And it's not like out West or other places where there's a million organizations that might inspire them. Right. But if we can be that organization that you know, challenges, them. really challenges their idea and say, is this even the right path? They may have to make a true pivot or find some synergy, <laughs> but they may do, they just need this one moment to go down a different path and hit a different wall right. instead of constantly banging their heads up against the same it, wall. And I'm, but not everybody will yeah. do it, right? Some will just, they really just don't want to. And it's really hard for a yeah. nonprofit or, or accelerator program to like pick those out and know. So I think for us, we have to just assume they all want to do it and yeah. challenge them and see who actually moves well, forward. I have encountered people who have come up with like really good inventions and they have no desire to build a business around it. They just want to get the invention made and have someone else sell it for them. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. That's an inventor. Yes, that's an inventor. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got people who that's what they want to do is yeah. have their own business. I'd well, say that's a... I'm always amazed at how many people out there have an invention or something they've figured out that don't want to do a business, but they somehow think that they're going to entice someone else to come out and sell all their, like sell all their stuff, do all the work, start a business, market it, you know, raise yeah. money, whatever it takes, do all the production, distribution, e-commerce, all this stuff. And then the inventor's like, well, I don't want to give up 50% of my business. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you've done the least amount of work. <laughs> right, yeah. You probably owe 10% yeah. of your own business, 20%. And it's that mentality is just crazy, right? A lot of early entrepreneurs or inventors don't, mm -hmm. are, have that mentality. Yeah. So they don't realize how much there is to yeah. put into a business or mm -hmm. a product to make it a business. You know? Yeah, it's, I mean, I keep going back to the ideas are easy. Everybody has an idea. I mean, you just sit around, drink cold beers, you can just chat with some innovative people and you're going to have dozens of ideas and mm -hmm. they're a dime a dozen. They're worth nothing. Mm -hmm. Not until you take it that next step and really move it forward. And that folks is why you should not worry about sharing your ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause nobody's going to copy it the way that you can do it. So. And if they do copy it, take it to market, do all that stuff before you do, you were never going to anyway. I mean, you really weren't. Yeah. If they can do it better and faster than you, then you're just, you don't have any hope because somebody's going to hear it at some point and do it. And you can't build it or by yourself in silence. Maybe use that to your advantage and join them. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see that a lot where two companies will start off and they're com com uh, competing with each other and they're like, okay, let's just bury the hatchet. Let's merge. Yeah. Uh, they don't let oh, ego yeah. get in the way of yeah. doing something special. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's frustrating when you have different people that are, even if they're doing similar things in different markets and they're not willing to talk to each other. I mean, that's, that's just craziness. I think it's like everybody thinks they're right. And this is the truth. This is the absolute truth of all entrepreneurship. If you're in a room with all entrepreneurs and everybody goes around and tells their best idea out, no one is going to steal the other person's idea because everyone thinks their own idea is the best. I mean, that is such My a true idea thing. Is the best. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it happen. Your threat is more from like a overseas outsourcer, like what they try to do with Airbnb, somebody trying to copy you. And it's going to happen. People are going to look at it and say, that's good. We're but that's it. a good story, too, because they couldn't copy Airbnb as well as Airbnb could execute. 
Well, they didn't. You know, well, they didn't care enough, right? Like yeah. I think they they wanted a quick buyout, and they were. I think Airbnb was probably one of the first companies that really called their bluff and a high profile thing, and they published about it. Yeah. So it wasn't this behind the scenes deal like in the past. So I think Airbnb kind of forced them to actually go through with and try to build their software, yeah. but they didn't really want to do that. When the cost got too high, it just died. Like yeah. it was just done. Like it was just not worth it to them. They just wanted to troll people and get money. There's so much to say about like good strategy and execution. Mm -hmm. That really makes something, mm -hmm. something. Yeah. And that's actually why for me, I went to these programs, drove to Atlanta, um, and now moved to St. Louis is because of the execution. It's like, mm -hmm. I know I'm not the only app out there. Um, there's three more that have popped up in the last, mm -hmm. since I've started this. Um, they're in various stages from right where we are to just starting. It's like, People are people know there's an issue there, and so it's like it comes down to who can execute the best. So I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna try to learn and get the help that I can, so I can be the person who's like, okay, I'm gonna make this succeed. If anything, have an exit where another company's yeah. like, okay, we'll acquire you um, if I can't make it to IPO or something mm -hmm. sustainable. Yeah, when we launched Brewfund, we launched that. And we had this novel idea of you know giving the gift of beer with a, a quick message. And it would all just work with texting and you show up, you know, since my beer show up, they get show their phone, they get a free beer. Uh, well, not well, it's free to them, free to the recipient. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we were pre-selling beer for breweries. And the interesting piece to that was we didn't, we had searched for other people doing it. We didn't find anyone. We're pretty technology you know, yeah. capable, right? But we didn't find one of them was called Buddy Drinks. And it, they had raised money out West and they had it, their system, and they were kind of going, they had social media stuff, but I think they were at the tail end of their business. But their whole business was on the gifting side. And you know, we, it was one of those interesting pieces. We saw that come up. But then I think it was within a few months, we saw another one in the UK pop up. It was one from me and one from me.com. And they were kind of going to like our equivalent of Applebee's and getting in franchises. And they were growing really fast. And I remember a few people got really nervous and were like, is this a, like, are you scared? And I'm like, no, this is a great thing. You see competition out there. And when, you're, when you feel like you're doing something new and novel and nobody else is doing it, it's a little uncertain, right? Because you're not sure if you're right. There's no momentum behind it. And unless your business just taken off and going gangbusters, you're, there is an uncertainty of, is this going to work? Mm -hmm. When you see people like you're talking about, Edwin, where all these companies start popping up and other apps and coming up, you know you're onto something. Yeah. Now it's execution. Now it's just hustling more than they are. Right. And just doing everything you can to be successful. But you also have, a, not a guide, but you have a competitor you can look at. And when they do something cool... You can look at that and go, hmm. And I'm not saying you should just copy everything they do, but you can look at that and say, that's a good idea. How do we incorporate that as well? Yeah. Because I guarantee they're doing that to you. Oh, yeah. And we saw um, this Buddy Drinks. It wasn't Buddy Drinks. There was another one. It came out later. I forget. They came out later. <laughs> and they, they started doing this like virtual credit card thing. And I, I love it because it was such a cool idea where if you answered questions while you're at the, the brewery or the bar, mm -hmm about the brewery, then they would give you money. Oh, cool. But, and they'd raise, <laughs> I, think, I think they raised like $250,000, but they definitely did not do the math right. Yeah. Because when they actually shut it down with less than a year, and I'm sure they were broke. Like, and I've never seen them start up again. But they were paying, I think like, it was like four responses was like a dollar or something like that. So you'd like just sit there wow. and go to all the places. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, I mean, they got great press. of like, this this app, this company will pay you to drink you know, beer breweries. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a cool concept, but well, I didn't, I never it was... I never heard about this. Like, I'm going to fund my business by doing this. Yeah, by, by the time it was up and running, it was like almost out of money, I'm sure. Oh, like, wow. I just did the math one day. Yeah. Like, wait, if they're paying this and this and this, like they better raise a crap load more money. I mean, I bet they went through like 250000 in like, really like yeah. six months. 
they had a quick like patch where they had to like bring down all of the payments <laughs> and then it was too late and then they I mean it was a shame because it was a cool idea now they wouldn't we actually reached out to them and said hey why don't we collaborate on some stuff why don't we talk never it was radio silence mm. I'm sure just from their videos and stuff they were very much on the we're the best we're going to dominate everything but we weren't even doing the same thing I would have gladly promoted what they were doing for what we were doing so we were trying to be this bigger ecosystem they were just trying to pay people to drink beer and get data and which Cool. That would have been a great collaboration. Yeah. And we both would have doubled in size. We would have done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've called some of my competitors. Um, none have responded, actually. Uh, where I've reached out a couple. Mm -hmm. Like When I was when we were on Preserved, I emailed two. Mm -hmm. um, I saw one guy pitch, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And actually, because like, we I had wanted to talk to them about how they were handling some things and how we were handling some things. And potentially, because they were programmers by that's where they came in from programming in. Mm -hmm. and then me coming in and I was starting to learn programming I was like this would be a great merge mm -hmm. where I've got a lot of the construction connections you guys have the programming background we're trying to mm -hmm. build the same thing let's talk and it, it, it isn't common for people like across the way of competitors it should be they should talk more but I get that maybe more normal but I, I get frustrated when it's all people like within our same location same. Right? oh yeah, yeah. When it's, you know, if you're talking to like a larger company or somebody mm -hmm. who can, you know, I, I guess I'm coming from a medical device perspective and mm -hmm. you know, starting point. out, you know, we you were always tell taught, everyone your yeah, details of your medical we've device. always been taught, you know, to keep everything close to the chest because if a larger company sees what you're doing, they have all the resources and money to easily replicate mm -hmm. what you're doing, test it and get That's it out it. there before you can even get yourself established but and take so johnson and johnson um, i'm gonna i don't mean to interrupt you but johnson and johnson most of their new products are acquired from other companies where they will see something and rather because it's it's a risk for them and so for me it's like what the things that i've seen like amazon's the only one that really comes in and crushes you but only after you've validated oh, apple's done it too oh yeah <laughs> well after you've validated it like once you're successful then they might do that but yeah. usually more often than not from what I've seen, big companies will buy you rather than try to build a product to compete with you. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of, I'm not saying that's always true or anything because there's different ways to look at it, right? Like they may do that and they may work on it internally or something, you know, with public companies and stuff and medical devices, they may not want to buy something super early because it could be a lot of risk. And mm -hmm. so they may just keep an eye on you, you know, so, and they may not just steal your things outright like i'm saying this is the stuff that we've been told when we started but i don't know if it's necessarily true or not but it's just the type of things you hear as an entrepreneur is like keep your ideas close don't share anything because there are bigger people out there that might steal it and so i have a quick question for you on that is the medical device world more academic because i know in academia you're always careful about your research because you're afraid somebody might scoop you and publish your stuff. Yeah, publish and, stuff. Your stuff. Um, and it happens. It happens a lot more yeah. than it should. Yeah. I, I even think medical device, it makes sense to keep some of that more secret. Like, it just, it, you, the interesting piece on that that people don't realize, and I think you can speak a lot more to this than I can, but just the reality of, like, you've got to patent your stuff as soon as you can. But when you patent it, that's when it goes active. And what is the patent? 75 years? No, 20. Sorry, 20, 20 years. That's right. Sorry. Copyright. So copyright. Yeah. So 20 years. So you have 20 years. It may take you 19 years to get it to release, right? Yes. And that's a problem where now you only have, let's say it takes 10 years or even 15 years to get it actually out and being used at a large level. 
So that means you've gotten done all this work and now you have five years to make your money back for the patent and the whole research and dynamic side. And that is a huge problem with patents in the medical industry right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what, um, you know, someone was telling me about the pharma industry and why drugs are priced so high is because a drug... That's one of the reasons, one, not yeah, all of it. Yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of greed there too. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one of the things is just like, Drugs cost even more than a medical device. From what mm -hmm. I know, yeah. a drug could cost mm -hmm. up to like a billion or more to create mm -hmm. and 10 to 15 years. And the patent lifespan is still the same. Mm -hmm. It's still 20 years. So mm -hmm. you have to raise a billion dollars or something to make this thing. And you make it in year 15. Now you got you have five years to pay back a billion dollars. And mm -hmm. people are going to expect two, three, four, five, six, seven times their investment yeah. in five years. So you got to make seven billion dollars or something, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. But I, like nowadays, I'm sure drug companies are making deals with generics and all that oh, sort sure. of stuff to get or providing money their own generics. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's, but, it ends up but being great. That, that does need to change. But I am willing to bet that if we just change the patent process for them, the they're just going to make way more money longer. <laughs> I just know there's so much green there. Right. And the proof well, to that is the other other countries sell the exact same drugs for like fractions of what they charge here. Yeah. And I would argue that if they can do that, like it's it doesn't really make sense why it's that way. Yeah, and you know this gets yeah we could deeper and deeper. Yeah, because like <laughs> this also ties into our healthcare system and the yeah. reimbursement and stuff for yeah. us in the U.S. is yeah. like you know you set a reimbursement price and that's what the money's going to be paid out to the hospitals and doctors. Mm -hmm. And for competitive reasons, if you charge lower than that, then, you know, the reimbursement reimbursement is going to become lower. So other people are going to get mad at you for doing that mm -hmm. because now they can't get, I mean, it's it just, it's well, crazy. Just, what, imagine going into a restaurant and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to eat this, you know, nice dinner. Mm -hmm. and I'm going you know, to go to the best restaurant we have in our region and you know, eat this nice dinner. And then with the end of the dinner, you go, okay, how much do I owe you? And they say, well, I'm not really sure. I'll, I'll have to, I'll send you a bill in two weeks. Like you'd be like, what? Like, oh, that's, that's completely unacceptable. Or you yeah. go to buy a car and you like get it all outfitted and you're like, oh, I, I really like it. I'm really happy with that. How much will it be? And they go, well, we really don't know. Like, well, what do you don't? Know? Well, it matters what kind of insurance you have. And it matters how much you're going to drive it. And it matters the current source of product. I mean, it's yeah. all yeah. bullshit. Like it's such a, it's a system that is convoluted to allow them to make their own pricing. And if there's no other industry we allow that in, and it just drives me up a wall, because if we believe in entrepreneurship and innovation, how do you build something that it can be successful in that ecosystem? Ooh, People do, but it's really, really tough. Bring in, if he wants to tell his story about yeah. that whole industry. Well, you know, one of my past startups was that, right? Oh, yeah. I did so I will, I will probably say we had a company data launch doing, doing, um, we were doing data uh, validation. We we're taking uh, the population healthcare set, doing visualization and prediction on it. And we could literally look at that and say, okay, you, you're 65, you're obese, and you have high blood pressure. What happens to you in three years? And we could compare you to a population set, and you can see that within three years, you start having you know, chances of diabetes, heart attack, stroke. And if you just take your medication, you can see the real world react of what happens in the actual population of that dropping off. Doctors loved it. Uh, healthcare, uh, like uh, insurance uh, providers seemed to love it. They want to incorporate that in their medical record systems and their insurance systems. It all seemed to be good, but we couldn't back then get the data. And there was only one company that was willing to sell us the data. It was a major healthcare, um, it was major um, electronic medical record. They wanted 50% of our, our profits for the first year and a dollar per record. So we needed a million records to do that. 
Now, we all laughed behind the scenes at the 50% of our first year's profits. We were happy to sign that because they were dumb enough to think we were going to make money in the first year. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll sign that. That's not a problem. You could have 100% of our profits the first year. <laughs> I mean, just the reality of how they didn't know that just blew my mind, right? They just have no concept of what they were getting into. And they thought they were going to make this big old juicy sale for a million dollars. Now, if we would have been able to come up with the money, we probably would have destroyed, like just owned that market, right? Because that's all we would have needed was that patient data. And we probably wouldn't have had to buy that. And the data got easier to use. But we were not able to get it because of the greed of the healthcare system at the time. And while that's gotten better, the convoluted side of that and trying to understand and talking to these health information exchanges where no software coming, nobody's willing to like make it easy for data to be shared. It, it keeps things on paper. It keeps things really inefficient. And it hides the details of everything. I mean, it really is a mess. And like you can't innovate in that space it very quickly because you get stimmied all the time. So we need somebody to hustle. Yeah, how do we tie this? How do we tie this to entrepreneurs hustling out there? Yeah, that's true. I, I agree. Someone, someone hustle and make this. Sorry happen. for my complaints, <laughs> but it, it, it is just the reality of the challenges behind it. And but I do respect companies like when Good RX came out. Yeah. That was such a new and novel way of doing it. I, I, there's still I've read about how they make money. I still don't understand it. It is this miraculous thing that it came to be, and it is one of the a very impactful business in the healthcare space, helping mm, people get absolutely. their medications lower. Mm -hmm. That took some serious hustle and some handshaking and probably some backroom deals. And so it's it's really interesting to see you know, what, what people, even in a convoluted system, that if you do hustle and you do focus and you really do not give up, great things can come from it. Yeah. One of the biggest things for success is how uh, gr much grit or perseverance a person has you have to where, be relentless yeah and one of the things too i have gotten some conversations have gotten a lot better when people realize zen hammer is a pivot and it's like oh you are a pivot oh then they like you see like the body language change <laughs> <laughs> and it's like would you guys like to talk about how what the pivot is and how that relates to people's perception of you as an entrepreneur hustler if, especially if you're around for a while and stuff and it's just not out there and clear like news articles or whatever saying this company is doing this and this is doing this. You have to like, I don't know, but it's like your company almost starts to age and get old mm -hmm. and people are wondering like, what are you doing? Like it took, took you a year and a half to do 10 episodes. Like, are you mm -hmm. hustling or not? You know, yeah. it's like you have to be able to clearly tell your story and it's you know, it's a lot of explaining, I feel like. It's because people don't understand it. People don't understand all the work and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears that go in behind doing all the different things that we do. They're just seeing this from an outside perspective. And it's just like, it's been five years. Why aren't you a billionaire already? Yeah. You know? That's what I blame the movie The Social Network. <laughs> it all happened it's in just, two and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, but I also think that we've talked about like, getting your family and friends and getting them to understand or not worrying about it, just moving on. And really, so much of the hustle is early on, too. It's really figuring out, is your idea working? People are always talking about like, growth hacks and all these other things. But unless your business is actually growing, unless you're selling something, unless you are moving forward and it's really happening, you're not just trying to get it off the ground, you shouldn't be reading about health hack or uh, growth hacks. Or health hacks. <laughs> just be healthy. <laughs> but like you should really be focused on validating, talking to customers and getting things really a great foundation to grow off of. Really you, investment, all these other things that people get distracted with, that is fuel you're throwing on a fire. But if that fire is not lit, there is no point in messing with any of that stuff. 
But to your point of like telling the story, that's not, no one wants or cares about a lot of times the story of like all the blood, sweat and tears you had to do to get it going or to keep it moving. They just care about the end result. And so I think another aspect of the advice is don't care if people think it should be done in time. If people are always saying, oh, are you, you're just an entrepreneur. Say whatever. I don't, that's fine. They can think what they want. That's true. If you take and you get the success, I guarantee all those people that didn't come your way are going to come knocking on your door to tell the story. They're going to be your best friends that are saying like, oh, hell, yeah. oh, your, your, your company took a long time. Well, but that's fine. I was always a big supporter. I was always here for you. Right. <laughs> Wasn't I yeah. buddy? Wasn't I? <laughs> and that is the reality of it. And yes, you can sit there and be like, no, you didn't do anything for me, but you don't want to burn those yeah. bridges. Like yeah. don't worry about it, move forward and just be successful on your own. Yeah. I guess to, you know, don't justify it to just anyone. Like there are people, like you said, like it doesn't matter what they think of you and stuff. I was just saying that for like maybe, you know, people who are close to you or friends yeah. and family or whoever, you know, like, gotta be showing telling them maybe your ups and downs or whatever so not worry but like it doesn't matter what some average guy out there thinks if you're an entrepreneur or not like you said like you do you you know yeah i'll go back to it's all about dave's law my uh extremely vain law i created that once you launch your business the entire world is out to get you and stop you in your business it, it's just the reality <laughs> oh, as soon as you do it like that is what happens when it's all quiet. You just are free friends. Everything's good. And your family's supportive. You launch and everybody's like, well, maybe it's time to get a real job. Yeah. <laughs> but that is, you just got to keep going and, and truly do the right hustle to get things moving. So yeah, hold on. I, I got to find something. So when <laughs> we called it quits on uh, mm -hmm. Perservid. Uh, well, when you, you pivoted for Perservid. So. Yeah. Well, first we were going to call it quits. And then mm -hmm. you and the contractors talked us into pivoting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well. Yes. I just presented an idea that was all up to you. I don't talk anybody to anything. Hopefully. So, <laughs> I might. We'll see. I actually wrote, once I came through that emotional roller coaster, and I was like, okay, we're not dead. Now we can think. I wrote um, the phrase, the dictionary should say entrepreneurship is the art of frustration. And then, Ooh, it, yeah. I like that. <laughs> the art of frustration. Sorry to cut you off. Just, oh, yeah. Was, um, and then an entrepreneur is someone who maintains maintains optimism through it all uh -huh. and so part of the journey of hustling is you have to have that insane belief in yourself like even when things are going not as they should you're going to find a way through on the other end mm -hmm. some way somehow maybe the business doesn't survive but you find a new business or you jump into a new gig that yeah. type of thing so and being on the founders forge side of this the you know i'm used to being an entrepreneur and working with entrepreneurs and being the one going through the roller coaster and of course we're going through our own roller coaster with stuff but being the one that people call and you reach out to you have meetings with on a monthly or you know a couple times a month basis or every other month basis i get to hear it and I, I love there's one entrepreneur here that is just hustling and i know there's a lot of people who don't believe in him i just know I, the appearance the personality the like he always has a, a different idea and he he struggled a lot of times, but I, I'm getting to see the inside scoop. And I love the fact he's called me telling me just to let me know he's quit and he's not going to do his business anymore five times now, <laughs> right? Five times he's called me like, hey, it's over. And I'd always, I wouldn't talk him out of it. At least I hope I would. I'd just say, you know, I, I understand if it's time to give it quit, you know, why don't you just take a day or two and before you make any big decisions and just think about it and see what you can do. And then usually within a week or so, he calls me back like, and it's not that he's telling me he's back. He, it's like he never made that phone call. He's like, oh, I'm doing this and I, I, this happened and I'm yeah. talking to this person. What do you think of this? And I'm like, and I'm just my, my back of my mind, I'm like, wait, did you just quit this for the fourth <laughs> time? But that is such a model of what happens when you're in the middle of hustling to get your company off the ground that you feel like that. Sometimes you do quit and then you don't. 
Like it's a roller coaster up and down, up and down. Yeah. And it's okay. Like he's not saying that to, he trusts me enough to say that. And he, for whatever reason, he feels bad quitting. And I've had to tell him like, if you quit, I'm never going to be against it. I'm just going to wait for you to come up with your next idea. Cause it's going to happen. Right. But I, he's finally about to launch his product is it's coming out and we'll have to do a little expose on him too. And I'd like to tell that story with details and have him on to tell that story. Cause it's, that is the real journey of it. And mm-hmm. I see what's coming out of it. And I think he's got a really, really good shot at making a good software as a service business that no one thought he could build. That's awesome. Yeah. So we've been talking about hustle, a little bit of healthcare, a little bit of complaining on my part. We've had all <laughs> kinds of good things happening. Uh, but you know, I want to ask each of you, what's next? And I'll start with you on that. What's next for you? What's the next hustle in front of you or next thing you're going to have to hustle for to you know, keep moving forward? Or what, what can you share? What's, what's, in, what's ahead? Well, for us, I guess what would be ahead would be, you know, continue working on this product and building it out, doing our benchtop testing. We're doing a lot of, we have a really great internship program going on right now. And so it's been pretty amazing to get all this wonderful help and be able to teach and guide biomedical engineering students and some other um, majors just about entrepreneurship and they've been able to, you know, work with us in a lot of the testing that we have to do. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing the results of those tests and how we can make changes or adjustments to the design and, you know, start, start getting into even more testing because that's what a lot of medical devices is, is just building your product and testing it a million different ways. And I'm, so I'm glad you're really, testing a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Edwin, what's uh, what's you have a lot going on? What's oh, yeah. next for you? What's so, uh, next milestone? Next milestone, one. So our app is almost to the MVP point where we can actually start charging people for it and to get the jobs through. And then from there, we've been in conversations with several companies, Missouri, Tennessee, Georgia, um, to start doing some contracts with them on like potentially uh, big companies to do um, handle their subcontractors. Um, and then I need to go back and do some conversations once we get everything up and running with some of our big competitors that I had right when we started in which they were like, oh, if you're handling this market segment, we're handling this, there really isn't that much overlap. How about we work together? So I've got some of those conversations to follow up with starting probably summer next year. And so, yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah. With Founders Forge, we've... I think, you know, coming out of COVID, it's really just been like, people keep calling it the great recession, the gate, the great, what, it's a great really resign, resignation. Re, great resignation. That one's coming. Yeah. No, not the great recession. That was the last one. Yeah. <laughs> the great resignation. That was 2008. Like, <laughs> 2008. We a business. <laughs> yeah. But the great resignation. And I, I kind of disagree with that. I call that the great acceleration. Because if things were not going well for businesses, it's, it's tough and it was sad, but it accelerated their demise. But for a lot of businesses, it accelerated their growth. And because of all of that, and it accelerated opportunities for people to go back to school, to uh, move up in different jobs, even moving horizontally to something they actually cared about, that it, it just accelerated so many things happening that being in the entrepreneur's world and trying to support that, we're seeing greater demand than we've ever seen. We went from about 20 known startups uh, to 60. And that's not small businesses. That's more high growth, people selling at a national or global level early on. But the small business growth and people trying to do their own services and trade skills and things like that is just off the charts too. And so we're launching, you know, the, the community itself, the ecosystem's launching a um, more co-starters classes, which is like a boot camp for Main Street and service-based businesses. We've got our second um, 
Founders Forge startup bootcamp coming up, which is phenomenal. We're having more people apply than we were um, right. thought we'd have. Nice. We got a fifty thousand dollar grant from the SBA for, uh, for SBA and SBIR uh, organization Sweet. or SBA Small Business Association yeah. to build a growth accelerator program. So people coming out of these early stage you know, programs we're building can then get help on the growth side. So we've got an insane amount of work, and we are a team of three people, and most of us are part time. But we're also working full time, <laughs> and so we're also have funding constraints. We have things that we need to keep building, and as these grants and everything go, so every day feels like an incredible hustle just to keep things going and keep up with the demand, which means it's a very good time to be in this space, and that's really exciting. Yeah, and you know, Edwin and I definitely so proud of the whole Founders yeah. Forge team, and you know, you three and everything that you've done to get this to this organization to where it is today i mean it's pretty amazing and incredible you know like we when we first started this out it was you know no one really knew of us and we're yeah. you know just it just felt really ambitious to be able to go out there and create an organization that could make a difference and here you know you guys are living it's out that dream success. for us years in the making like, <laughs> people all around the appalachian highlands knows about founders forge now yeah. and you're we're winning grants and we're doing all these great things. I mean, it's incredible. So congratulations yeah. to Founders Forge for, I, I appreciate for that. all the and cool I, things. I can't take the credit, too, because it's you know, there's been a few events where we've been very appreciative of how people thank me because a lot of times I'm the face of it because I tend to have the time to do that. But it's really about the team and the volunteers, the board, everybody that's working together to make it happen because there's not there's too much to be done for it just to be me. And so the Founders Forge board, if you get a chance to go to myfoundersforge.com and see who's there and learn about us, uh, you can see who was all in the experience that's involved in this. And I thank you guys, too, because you helped found the original, like, there was the three of us getting together yeah. like five years ago now, I think, and yeah. saying there should be more startup events. <laughs> yeah. And I was honestly a little skeptical at first about the podcast when Arnab, you came and said, hey, you know, I think we should do a podcast. And I was like, okay, sure, we that's one more thing. But I kept thinking about it. Yeah, maybe we should. And I set that kind of goal. We got to get to 10 to launch it. And it was amazing, even though it's taken a lot more time than I think anybody would have ever thought, which is such a startup thing. Right? <laughs> we're going to be yes. rich. We're going to do, do 10, ep 10 episodes in like a month. Yeah. We release it. We'll just Knock do this every month. Yeah. <laughs> a year and a half later. But I think because we waited and we got the experience of time really made a difference. But I really appreciate you coming in and coming up with this idea and pulling it together. Absolutely. I do have one last question you know, if we have time for it mm -hmm. is, so for all those entrepreneurs out there hustling, you know, what is maybe one or two pieces of advice that you would share with them to motivate them to be, maybe they just have an idea and they want to become a new entrepreneur or they're out there and struggling I right now. How do you encourage them to keep going? So what do you have to say to them? What am I, <laughs> I guess, using a metaphor, get punched in the face, just a metaphor, like, Real life, you want to get punched in the face, you can do that. But from a metaphorical standpoint, get punched in the face and go learn the technique and then go out and get punched because it makes it real. You learn to adapt because you can go and read all the books in the world, but if you don't actually put that academic knowledge in practice, yes, you can read zero to one. You can read Lean Startup. You can read all those things. But if you don't go out and actually put it in practice, it's not real. It's not going to, you're not going to learn what actually your, your process is to make those things happen. So get punched in the face as fast as possible. Yeah, I would add that kind of somewhat along the same lines, the best piece of advice I think I can tell anyone right now is that when you're 
in the early stage of your business, or even if you're you know off you know selling your uh, your product or service, you need to start asking yourself and asking others why won't this work? Stop focusing so much on the good and the positives and all the things that get you excited about your business because that that just like feeds this vicious circle of like trying to self validation. If you start going out and talking to people and it's everybody's like, oh, that's an awesome idea. You need to immediately change that mindset and that discussion to, okay, okay, that's cool. But I know that's a great idea, but why wouldn't it work? Mm-hmm. That opens that door for people to give you honest feedback. That you know, gives people a chance to start saying, well, I think it will work. Be like, no, there's got to be something. Like, I'm trying to figure out what would stop this. And then they start thinking and they start, instead of trying to support you, they start saying things like, well, how would you get enough users? How would you do this? How would you do that? Have you been on a job site? There's a lot of flip phones on there. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. That is stuff you need to know early on. Yeah. Because if you build this product and get it out there and no one has a smartphone, why do you have an app for them? <laughs> right? It doesn't make right. sense. And but, there, but that gives you an opportunity to say, well, maybe we should use text messages or maybe we just need to focus on this part of the demographic that we think is growing. Absolutely. But until you get that as the core message and you stop getting so excited about what you like about the business and you focus on the negatives and make it okay for people to return and give you that feedback, like it, you're just going to have a hard time reaching success. Yeah, got to think about it in a million different perspectives, yeah. I guess. What's your advice? Uh, it's a tough one. I guess, uh, you know, maybe a couple, like one, definitely find out your why, why are you doing this? What's your passion? You know, what are you pursuing this for? And then also just go out and do it. Like I'm a big proponent of, you know, planning, taking the time to make sure that you know what you want to do and, you know, plan nine days, do work one day. But at, after a certain point, you just said, do go out and do it. You know, like there's the, entrepreneurs, the hustlers, the fake hustlers that are just always thinking of something to do and they always make up or come up with excuses of why they're not pursuing this or not pursuing that. And it's just like, I'm just thinking or, you know, you, you kind of figure that out. But then there's there's another level to it. It's like you're thinking and you're building upon that thought and that thought gets more and more solid. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, now I got to do it. Now I'm going to do it. And you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to plan everything perfectly. And that's okay because if it's something wrong, you can always go back and fix it and you learn from it and you just do it again, but better, you know? And so which I have one really practical piece of advice, (laughs) get a goal book. Like I have a notebook where I literally write the date, all the things I need to get done that day. And as I do them, I scratch them out. I've got my notes. Then whatever I don't complete, I just, put over to the next day and don't beat yourself up if you don't hit every single thing on your goal book. Just get the critical stuff done first and then the other stuff. Yeah. That's all great advice. At the end of the day, I love it. Just, just make it happen. Yeah. It's all that matters. Yeah. Doesn't matter the struggle. Doesn't matter the challenge. Doesn't matter what's stopping you. Manifest you you into reality. Just make it, make it happen. (laughs) I had an entrepreneur saying that, you know, they needed $20,000 and they couldn't get it to build their app. And if it was really personal, I probably was more expensive than 20000 but they couldn't get it. And they were like, it was holding them back. And I said, you could work at McDonald's and get $20,000 yeah. in a year just working part-time. And his statement was, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, well, I, I, if you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to build your business. Should have told him to go to right. the NFT market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just put it all in crypto? <laughs> That'll make $20,000 in like a week sometimes. <laughs> but now, in all reality, it, it is about, it doesn't matter Finding what it takes. If you want it to happen... happen You'll clean the bathrooms at coffee shops if yes. you really want it to happen. That will not bother you. Yes. Yeah, or bounce. That's actually why I had to stop bouncing when, uh, 
kick somebody out, went to have a meeting. And You're a bouncer. Okay. Bouncer. I was like, you bouncing around? No, 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 yeah, it's I was, a new I was, dance. I know, I it's a new dance on I was, TikTok. I was a bouncer. You're just bouncing down the street. Yeah, no, I, I had kicked somebody out and uh, had a meeting with, turned out that guy's employee employer walked in literally a few days later. He's sitting there and I'm, we're just like, I won't say anything if you want. <laughs> I was like, I got to <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you have to decide what you're willing to do what you're not yeah and just make it happen make it happen cool. so by any means well guys congrats it. on the 10th episode we did it yeah. now, now we gotta got edit it yeah <laughs> good job guys so yeah, uh, yeah i think yeah. we'll call that the end of the 10th episode great job awesome. guys great see you job. all next season we look forward to you joining us next time on startup pivot scale We'd also love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For episode transcriptions, past episodes, or to learn more about this podcast, connect with us at startuppivotscale.com or at startuppivotscale on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Founders Forge, a 501c3 nonprofit that is dedicated to the underdog entrepreneurs of the Appalachian Highlands and helping them on their startup journeys. We do this by holding high impact events, building a vibrant startup community, and through one-on-one coaching for startups. Learn more at foundersforge.com.